Hey everybody, welcome to Chats the Television Podcast. This is Alan, editing this episode of Sunset Chats, uh, months after it was recorded. If it wasn't clear already, these episodes were recorded back in the early months of quarantine, and now we are here in the current months of quarantine, living our lives, continuing the, the Aaron Sorkin dream of doing the damn work. Um, if you have any questions or comments for us, we have our plug zone at the end for you to, to know where to send those over to. Um, I think this episode's pretty good. I'm about to listen through to it. And I will be back at the end for some special announcements about what's going on in the current days of Chats. Please enjoy the episode. Live from Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats, it's Thursday night in America. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 10, Studio 60, on the Sunset Chats. My name is Alan, and I think I'm in love with you. And if you want to run, you'd better get a good head start, because I'm coming for you, my co-host, Magellan, who's here. Welcome. I knew I knew it. You did know it, because it's affectionate, but also extremely creepy and unacceptable. <laughs> That's what I would have done for you, too, but I would have done the whole, the whole speech. I can't, yeah, no, I, probably, I can't. I probably would have made a longer speech. They were, yeah, you would have written onto the speech. <laughs> Listen, um, I've been divorced 10 times. I've killed two of my ex-wives. I'm addicted <laughs> to coke, speed, and... Uh, buried the bodies right beneath us right now. The novels of John Grisham. Uh, and I and I live in the basement. Anyways, you want to go This isn't even time? my shirt. <laughs> I found this. This isn't my real hair, or my real face, or my real name. Here's my ID. <laughs> I'm a dead president, and yeah. I'm also joined by another pretty girl at the dance, and this one's not pregnant. It's six. <laughs> it's true, I'm not. <laughs> it was a lot of work. You caught me at a good time. It's now been at least two episodes where I—I I don't know if I used it in the quote in the other one, but like the whole it's girls talking about wanting to have babies thing keeps coming up, and now at least makes plot sense. But still, ugh. It always made plot sense. You could smell it in the water. This is the kind of show it is. I just I want to peel things? back the curtain for a second and say that Alan presented to Six and I before the show that there was a nice <laughs> intro and a mean intro. And yeah. it, I guess the mean one is you're a girl who's not pregnant. Uh, well, okay. If you overthink it too much, then you'll realize that what really happened is I already forgot which one was supposed to be which. And I just kind of said them. And now by dissecting it like this, you're proving my incompetence. Oh. Which I don't want to hear on this podcast because it's my show. Okay, you're right. Sorry, boss. And my, I, I'm the Matt Albie of this pod. No, that's not true. If there's a Matt Albie of this podcast, it's six. Yeah, okay. Uh, I love it. Uh, if you can't tell already, this is a podcast where we talk about Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, two episodes a week. And this week we watched episode 11, The Christmas Show, as well as episode 12, Monday. The Christmas Show uh, was written, uh, has television credits by Aaron Sorkin. It's got story credits from Christina Kyung Both and Sink Henderson. It was directed by Dan Atlas, and it originally aired December 3rd, 2006. Um, Mitchell, can you tell me what happened in this episode? In this episode, with a holiday show on the horizon, Matt is determined to bring the Christmas spirit to Studio 60. Meanwhile, following a visit to the OBGYN, Danny has to confront his true feelings for Jordan. Harriet is offered a career-changing opportunity, 
Tom and Simon jump at the opportunity to assist the writing team to write Christmas-based sketches in order to enjoy the company of a certain member of the writing team. However, their presence is seen as more of a hindrance. When Danny discovers that band members from various TV shows intend to call in sick in an effort to help musicians who have been homeless since Hurricane Katrina, he takes the opportunity to create an entire band from New Orleans musicians who play a centerpiece on the show. Ugh. Lots of opportunity. This is a really... That's what Christmas brings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the magic of opportunity. Is it... It was weird that Matt... Because he's been so not religious. Oh, buddy, you haven't been paying attention. What are you saying? I love you. I love you. Magellan? What are you saying? I love you. You think he's trying to... He did it for Harriet? That's a Every single... Aaron Sorkin every single Aaron Sorkin show has an episode where the grouch is like well I'm the only one here who really cares about Christmas and all the other liberals are too liberal to appreciate Christmas every single Aaron Sorkin show he did this in the other ones too oh my god are you kidding me did he He do this in newsroom I don't remember when he he was in the newsroom mm, he might not have done it in newsroom he definitely did it he definitely did it in West Wing, and I'm pretty sure he did it in Sports Night. He's just, he can't stop himself. It's insufferable. It's insufferable. It's the Christmassy part, not insufferable. Cute. It's cute that Matt likes Christmas. The fact that we have to hear all of these characters be like, actually, it was in the middle of June, and it was only three miles. And it's like, this isn't funny. You read a page, you read a website, and it wrote your script. It's a bunch of kids on a Reddit thread being like, um... So Santa's based on a drawing, but that this guy was commissioned to do. That's propaganda. So basically, it's all fake, and you're consumerist for believing it. And they're saying it to Matt Alby, who's like, <clears throat> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not the, like, Christmas believer guy. I just think it's nice. So, I don't know. That annoyed me. There are other things that I liked in the episode. I am not a Christmas person, but... If you think Christmas, like, I, I, I respectfully, right? Like, uh-huh. I, I, hmm. if you think Christmas in a larger cultural sense is actually about the fact of the events rather than us coming together during a season that is traditionally, right. like, nature-wise, the hardest part of the year and finding a reason to be happy together, then you're stupid. <laughs> yes. It makes you look dumb. Bo- both of these episodes start with um, some really bad Jordan and Danny stuff. Um, this one's the less egregious, but it features uh, Jordan going with Danny to the or Danny going with Jordan. To the <laughs> there, OBGYN. there you go. You did it. <laughs> I, I think I did it last week too. It's inc- I'm impressed in myself, or one of us did. Uh, where she's like talking up to all the people, and she like yell. What does she yell at the, at all the people? She's like asking. Oh, it's like, hey, are the guys that are with you uh, not your partner or your dad or? Yeah, your... it's like raise your hand if you're not the the husband or the father. And it's like nobody would do that in a hospital. As someone who's been in a lot of this type of setting, they would you just would be like, "Don't, don't talk, <laughs> please, no." Yeah. But but everyone on an Aaron Sorkin show is the person that would say that, so I guess it makes sense. Well, and then Danny raises his hand, and she's like, "Stop! You're embarrassing me." <laughs> it's like, yeah, and it's like you. you what? Uh... <clears throat> um, I do appreciate though that the doctor in this scene is a really, really his his favorite Studio sixty sketch is the Nicolas Cage one, and he mm-hmm. just does the classic fanboy <laughs> thing of being like, "I love when he does." doctor and writer and lawyer and he yeah, like names all of them cute. he's just like i love it how they have he has all those jobs yeah it's exactly like, wow. can't relate the thing about studio <laughs> 60 it... is that it has everything it needs to like make fun of snl for being bad 
but it never mm-hmm. does it on purpose. Like <laughs> I was editing the last episode and just the idea of peripheral vision man is clearly supposed to be like a dig at SNL, but not really. And this also is kind of like you could do this, you could notch it this up a couple of degrees and this becomes more acerbic, but it's just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> I think it's funny. I mean, you could be like, do, do, do David as pumpkins. I love it. It's my favorite. It's my favorite of your sketches. And it's like, yeah, I'm Tom Danny's Hanks. Like, I, I actually, I actually don't do that sketch. I didn't, I wasn't part of that wasn't sketch. That, that sketch. was, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't write the show. Do the skeletons bit. Do the skeletons. <laughs> I do. That's literally the only good SNL sketch when I think of like my favorites personally, um, is that one. And then maybe, mm, that, that Ryan Gosling one. That's like the digital sketch where he's uh, he hates the fact that they used papyrus in Avatar. That's a pretty good sketch. That's just because <laughs> it's it's scripted and uh, Ryan Gosling is charming. I digress though. Um, we're trying to write a Christmas special, and I had this moment early on in the episode where I was like, "Why did it take us this long to get like a cast that I like?" Um, like we're what eleven episodes into the show, and I'm finally like, "All right, there's Lucy and Darius and Simon. Like, yeah, everyone's here." And it just feels like this show had this weird early period where, like, none of these people mattered and didn't exist yet. Um, well, they didn't. I it's mean, ca- a couple of them, the ones you just named, weren't in the show yet. Literally weren't in the show, yeah. It's like, <laughs> so I feel like we're finally at a point where I enjoy everyone. Um, and recalling another, that other episode where, uh, you know, there was the whole, like, shooting event, I thought they were going to bring another real-life moment in here, talking about how there was an earthquake, and they were trying to see who was affected. But it seems like that plot line didn't go anywhere. It's California. We have ha- earthquakes here. This just but that's happens. the thing is that they would just be like, "Is everyone okay?" Like, yes, okay, no one died. All right, yeah, great. I, I, really, I mean, like, we have you know, it is shocking to think of the ten breaking in half. That's pretty screwed up. The ten yeah. is a big deal. But like, yeah, no, we have earthquakes here, and you're like, "Did anyone get hurt?" And if someone says no, you're like, oh, "Okay," and you move on. That actually, I super bought. <laughs> Huh. That's yeah, but the the whole like it it just felt like it was building. Like if you're gonna make a TV script, I guess that's mostly to remind people like, hey, we're in LA and that matters. Like our setting is important to us, mm. um, both in the culture and the way that people talk and act around each other. But it was just a little odd to me, um, especially because this episode also features another like natural disaster that does factor into the plot line in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the only reason for that was to explain why they couldn't get like a snow machine. And they had to use coconuts. Is that it? Oh, I think that was yeah, the it was only to set up that. But, but actually, now that you mention that, Alan, this is yeah, such a that? missed opportunity for them to connect the two things. For them to be like, right, "Wow, okay, right. y'all were displaced by this natural event disaster, and we're dealing with our own right now," and have it connect. God, <laughs> a mild earthquake is basically the Hurricane Katrina of Los Angeles. Like, what? <laughs> No, no, you just be like, wow, if we're if we're having this much trouble over this minor a thing, we can really empathize with what you're going through. You could you could write something. Sorgan doesn't wow. do empathy though. He does sympathy. No. You know? That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's, that's true. That's the, and, that's the problem. I don't want to go down every single scene of the episode cuz I do want to talk about the Katrina stuff and how the how weirdly it's handled. But another one of my favorite early scenes was the like reintroduction of Jack Rudolph here where he's like talking to someone in a meeting. And then someone, he's like, close the door, please. And I don't know, as somebody in like my last job, every time I hear the term close the door, please, and from watching Mad Men, I have a deep-seated anxiety from that term where I'm like, someone's getting killed. Someone's getting fired. Yeah, it's never good. No, mm-hmm. you never say close the door if it's like good, like good news, you're getting promoted. 
Um, Jack Rudolph kick, like comes through in his scene and says, "Like I'm gonna get a gun. I swear to God, I am. Take your medicine. There is no medicine. There's no law. <laughs> and he's just yeah. he's firing on all cylinders immediately. And uh, <clears> what I loved is his... is the whole thing is about how the so basically there was a news broadcast." from Afghanistan and a reporter's interviewing a soldier. There's a rocket propelled grenade that explodes overhead and the soldier says, fuck. And uh, that's a big problem because now the FCC is going to fine uh, ACN. Nope. That's the Whoa, newsroom. The other, that's the newsroom. <laughs> NBS. <laughs> well, he does. I understand why you're confused because Jack Rudolph does say we, we did, did the, the news. news. He literally says we he did the news. I wrote that in my news. notes. Um, I liked it honestly. <laughs> I liked it too. I thought that was great. That was that yeah. was definitely the seed planted that where Torkin was like, hmm, we should do the news. <laughs> I like that one plot that I did in that other show. I um, mean, this feels like a newsroom plot because yeah, it it's does. it's all about his integrity and trying to figure out how to like navigate the FCC and stuff like that. Like this, this is a pretty good plot line, also because it features my favorite man, Jack Rudolph. I thought it was a yeah, kind is... of a funny, subtle joke, by the way. And then we can talk more about it. That it's all the whole plot is about like this profanity that he's not allowed to say. And right before he starts talking about it, he goes, "Son of a holy godforsaken bitch." <laughs> and, which is clearly Aaron Sorkin's way of being like, I'm going to write the worst sentence I can possibly write and get past the censors and then talk about how much the censors are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a couple of things where I was like, this must have been fun to explain to the cast of Studio 60. Like, as I understand it, Amanda Peet's character of Jordan has a pregnancy plotline because she was pregnant at the time. So I just imagine her coming up to his office, like, as if someone's going up to Matt Albee and being like, hey, so I, the, the test came back positive and I'm pregnant. And he's like, huh, what are we going to do? And they spend, like, a whole day racking their minds over it. Like, the Studio 60 existing within the filming of Studio 60, the show, is very seems very interesting to me. And hopefully more realistic than all of this nonsense about censors and uh, whatnot. I wonder if that's as big of a deal these days. I mean, cable news is still, FCC you know, still you, exists. I mean, absolutely, I know, but I wonder, there. like specifically, what what later on one of the uh -uh. Uh, like the board members or one of the FCC people tells Jack is, you know, the we the NPR was able to air the John Gotti tapes where he says a bunch of bad words because he's a bad person. People know he's a bad person, but if you have a soldier saying bad words, then that's bad. Because it's 2006, and we still have this like, um, like powerful reverence for the military. Yeah, it just felt like a weirdly that was a like mark in time of this series being like, guys, we don't save that. And like, remember that episode with Tom, like you know, giving money with his brother and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, the army the stuff was way more central. The characters <clears throat> in the show definitely like care about the military, or at least the the higher ups somewhat. Well, I think if you made this if you made this same plot line today, the only thing you would change is people would be saying like what are you talking about? It's 2020 and someone would say not to the FCC, it's not. Ooh, yeah. They're stuck in 2006 and we're <laughs> in 2026. Because I, I mean, 2006 is generous to the FCC. Hey FCC <laughs> turns to the camera. I'm putting you on notice. <laughs> oh, blast. You're canceled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember when I trained um for the college radio station, uh, it was a big part of the training to be like, you just, you can't, you have to not say. No swearing. Because, and you have, like, also you had to listen through any of the songs you wanted to put on the air because those couldn't have curse words in them either. 
because that could get the station in trouble. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I mean, and that was as recent as uh, 2013, 2012, 2013, something like that. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's a different time though, but you, but you can kind of see some echoes of this stuff being an issue today, like the whole no cursing and no like you know making the military look bad sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jack's really grumpy, and uh, we then pivot back to uh, our main crew with uh, Meta Weaver's character uh, Suzanne, who I only know because I realized in the interim of this recording, the last one, that she has gone on to play uh, on HBO's Run. She's the main character of uh, Ruby Richardson which is a really, I like the show run a lot. It's very silly. And as of this recording, it's about to be over with its seven episode season. And if you haven't watched it, I've already chatted some did a long ago and it's wonderful. And she's wonderful. It's nice to see my girl get more like talking scenes. Um, she has this whole bit about like, I got sand in my towel. And she like does her lot. The most relatable thing finally is she's like, I do my laundry at the office. Cause I don't want to, I can't, I don't want to spend money on laundry at home. Hmm. Then we get the Harriet plot line where she's out for lunch with her agent, whose name is Luke. He looks like, how would y'all describe this Luke fella? He looks like, um, Chris, Chris, the guy, the, the comedy guy. Chris oh, fuck. Guy, what's his name? He's he's in what Hot American Summer is the guy who has the sex guy, with the, the comedy guy Chris the guy that co- sorry he's as who <laughs> in what Hot American Summer he's the guy who uh Christopher Chris Maloney oh yeah he looks like kind of a weird Chris like a less muscular but bigger Chris Maloney yeah like a sort of dehydrated Chris Maloney <laughs> <laughs> exactly a little bit yeah bronzed up drained of some of his coolness yeah he he Big time. he's good casting for like ugh. This you guy. immediately know you see this guy and you're like, Ugh, Ugh, this guy. Ugh. and like and, Danny's being, or sorry, Matt is being way more of a of a shithead than this guy yeah. is, but you still just because of the casting, you're like, Ugh, this guy, oh my god. Yeah, we get a we get a scene with him later where we're supposed to be ugh because that's, but like I actually I was fighting against my own reaction because it's the scene where he goes to ask. Uh, ask Harriet because he's talking to Harriet and Har- Harriet's like, oh, it's ridiculous. Matt says you're doing this because you want to ask me out. And he's like, oh, I mean, I do. Like, I mean, that's unrelated. You earn this position because you're really talented and you're the perfect person. But yes, I would like to date you. Yeah. And, and we're supposed to several times. At, we're supposed to feel repulsed. But it's like, honestly, he's being really upfront about this in a way that seems fine to me. Actually, right. in a way that Matt <laughs> is a hundred percent not. Yes, yeah. totally. That's what that was the thing. One of the things I wrote in my notes was like he's the only honest one in that in that three way love triangle that shouldn't exist. Like Matt, Matt was really douchey in this episode be, to, to Harriet because there's so she has this this lunch with uh, Luke where she's like, oh, your your assistant set up a lunch, blah blah blah, and he's like, I want to cast you in the Rolling Stones movie as someone. Who everyone like important knows. character, yeah, not like, not B tier character, but like important character, yeah, a supporting actress role, but like a major character, um, <clears throat> in this Rolling Stones biopic thing. And she's like, "Oh my god, that's great!" And then she goes to talk to Danny about it, and runs into Matt, and she's like, well, "I want to talk to Danny because you're a jerk and you won't let me do it." And he's like, "What is it?" And he's like, "Oh my god, most perfect part for you." And Matt is like a normal guy, and he's so sweet about it and understanding, and like he's putting his jealousy aside. And Harriet's like, wow, this is cool. You're being cool. She walks away, and then Matt says, and he's doing it to uh, to get with you, to marry you. And, and you uh, didn't realize that, because you're dumb. Yeah, and then she's like, you think he wants to sleep with me? And he's like, no, he wants to marry you and sleep with other women. And it's like, Matt, stop. 
stop. What are you doing? Like, he just couldn't let it go. Uh, so gross. But this woman exists. Let her make her own decision. Like, it's right. Just, it feels very, I guess, parentalist is the word. Like, hey, I know what you, what's better for you. Like, I know what this guy's trying to do. Yeah, it's, and, and it's not even it. parentalist. Like, he's not, he just wants control over Harriet, right? Because mm-hmm. that's also what motivates, he doesn't have an arc of becoming a better dude in this episode. He doesn't apologize to her. The sort of climactic moment of their plot is right before she goes out on stage, he pushes her against a wall and kisses her. Uh, and then, like, walks away because he wants to control her. So he, like, sexually assaults her backstage in order to maintain control. It's really gross. And the, the show is wants to play it because of how it's shot and the music behind it as like, oh my gosh, so romantic. So many, so many scenes in both of these episodes feel like systematic beat by beat, like deconstructions of every character that we've come to like so far and be like, actually everyone kind of sucks in different ways. Like, uh, Simon is like a, a pedant who will correct everybody on history because he read the Bible and he has a whole scene with Darius Slater that we have to talk about. Uh, Tom, same thing. He wants to date Lucy and doesn't seem to know how to talk to people. Uh, you know, Matt is is possessive with Harriet. Uh, Harriet's foolish and doesn't know how to like make her own decisions. Uh, Danny, oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like it just you could go down the list and just be like Darius. all these characters. Darius remains. I I still have yet to object to <laughs> anything Darius has done. Yeah, unimpeachable. <laughs> the one the one beacon of good, and, which is why uh, he should be name? the POV character. He really should. A hundred percent. What 110%. a waste. Hundred and ten percent. Because then you really could do this Matt and Danny shittiness. And I think the ways that they're shitty are believable ways that like these powerful Hollywood, uh, you know, superstar guys are shitty. Uh, but the show portrays what they do but then they're still the main characters they're still the protagonists so we still have to have this sort of hero conversation between them of like hey i just forcibly kissed my ex-girlfriend backstage what did you do tonight oh i uh took a woman aside while she was in the middle of eating a sandwich and told her i would stalk (laughs) her for months cool (laughs) nicely done bro and now we're gonna start dating hopefully maybe if it works out for him a um, couple of like funny scenes though come up here. Uh, we have like everybody in the writers' room um, pitching like Christmas sketches, and I believe it's Darius who keeps being like, "Guys, the three wise guys," and they're like, "No, no, no, we got all this other stuff going on. We got to do a coconut. We got to get snow." And he's like, "No, no, the three wise guys." Like it's like you know the guys from Goodfellas, but they're the three wise men, and they're like, no, "Shut up!" <laughs> like that's a good. That's he that's wrote. Fine. Okay, he wrote the. That's fine. I, yeah, totally. Um, and Simon's continuing to be annoying. And then Wes comes in. The only thing Wes does in both of these episodes, besides like talk, walk and talk with people, is he brings a coconut. Like, oh, yeah, this will be easy to crack. And they're like, Cal. no, it's not. They literally have it's tools Cal. for that. It's and he's Cal, like, not Wes. oh, Cal, excuse me. I wrote Wes here. But yeah, yeah, Wes is the guy from the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Cal attempts to break the coconut against the table, but breaks the whole writer's room table in half. I guffawed. The- I laughed out loud. That was so funny. <laughs> so goofy i i was i was like it it was such a like a a classic like sorkin like basically slapstick that i wasn't on board until i saw the laptop sliding into the new crack between the halves and i was like it it gave me the same feeling as the early Mad Men scene where they ride the riding mower in the office and you're oh and then it runs over the guy's foot 
Yeah, well, before that part happens. <laughs> oh, just the, yeah, the absurdity, just like, the absurdity in a dramatic of, series. Like, what are we doing in this place of work? Uh, it reminded me of that. So I thought it was definitely. A, good, a good gag. Yeah, it's 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 definitely like a visually uh, successful gag. It does what it needs to do. Um, <clears throat> I also and, like and then the, truly... San- sorry, uh, I also like the Santa gag later where uh, they have like a little figurine of Santa and Matt's like, you can't use this. He's doing the Heil doing Hitler a Nazi salute. salute. Yeah. And Cal's like, no, he's not. He's, he's saying hi. <laughs> he's waving to the reindeer. Where yeah, are they? You can't, they can't see him. And he's like, no, he's doing the, the he's the, doing the Nazis. The way that he plays that, that, the actor who plays Cal plays that is so funny. Cause he's like, mm-hmm. he clearly agrees. And he's just like, can I convince Matt that he's wrong? So I don't have, to <laughs> I don't want to get the new prop. I don't want to do more work. <laughs> he's like, well, now that you say it, it's all I can see. He's also got kind of the evil eyes, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, we should probably get rid of this. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, and then there's, yeah, uh, Harriet uh, tells Matt the news about her movie thing. And then he's like, you know, your guy wants to marry you and, and sleep around with other women. And then this is bonkers. She punches him in the stomach and she's like, ow. And then oh she keeps God, doing it every time he talks. I forgot about that. The mo- I can't even I can't even laugh at this because it's just so naked. Like she punches him and he's like, "Why are your abs so hard?" He's like, "Leg lifts with genie." And like Matt is Aaron Sorkin's like substitute. See, like, I I can laugh at it because it's so blatant. I'm like, this just, is Aaron Sorkin being like, like "Yeah, I'm ripped." Also, it's hilarious. It's so pathetic because it it's not like it's played for comedy, but it's not fake. Like it's he's she's like, "Yeah, your abs hurt because they're so strong." <laughs> It's amazing. I love it. And absolutely not in the way Sorkin wants me to. No, exactly. He doesn't. You're not like, man, Matt Albee's a cool guy. You're like, this guy. Also, another layer of like Matt being horrible because he he wasn't just like, I've been working out. He's like, it's from fucking Genie all the time, basically, is what he's saying. (laughs) And he's being such a like big baby about Luke. But he's still throwing genie in in Harriet's face. It's like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're I don't know. nothing. A few more leg lifts can't fix. <laughs> right. <laughs> this and then this scene pivots to my one, my favorite moment that I should have known was foreshadowing the ruin the ruination of Danny Tripp, which is she's like, I'll talk to Danny. We have serious, important, private business to talk to. Hey, Danny, and she looks at his room and he's just like face down, like, ah! like having a stress attack. And I was like, that's, we finally got like the relatable experience of what being a writer is like. It's just surrounded by your work, being like, I don't know how to do anything. Well, but that's Except not he's why worried. he's stressed. No, exactly. Yes. Yeah. We learn later that he's stressed about uh, Jordan. Right. He wants to tell Jordan that he loves her, which I thought was endearing in this episode. And then we'll talk about the next episode, how it just is the most disgusting and upsetting thing. But in this episode, all the Danny Jordan stuff I actually thought was cute. Like how... Except for the last speech. The last speech is pretty... The la- the la- yeah, the last the speech quoted, is a lot. Yeah. It's like problematic in a sort of, yeah, Sorkin man kind of way. But it, it feels very true to Danny of like, this is how I tell someone I love them. It's like kind of weird and like too honest. So I also didn't mind that speech and the line of like, I'm coming for you, Jordan, is a, can be a little cute, although it, I do acknowledge the problematic aspects of it. 
Um, but the lead up to it was was nice. Of <laughs> all the times that Matt's like, yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> the scene that I really liked was when they were talking about the upfronts, and Matt's like, "What's she gonna do with the upfronts?" And Danny's like, "Oh yeah, what is she gonna do? She's gonna get her, her assistant to do it. She can't do that. She's gonna do this. Oh, she can't move the date." And Matt's like, "Why are you spending time on this? I." It was a passing thing. I asked, and then I immediately started thinking about something else. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, yeah. And the way that the interplay between Bradley Whitford and Matthew Perry is is very cute in all of those scenes. In the way that Matt finds out about all of this stuff where he's like, why do you keep asking questions about, why do you keep worrying about Jordan? Uh, like he kind of figures it out, it seems like. Yeah. <clears throat> and he, he lets his friend be the one he isn't like, you're in love with Jordan, aren't you? He's like, okay, we both know that I know and you know. So take your time, Mr. Guy who cannot <laughs> express his emotions at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so we get to the FCC part that I talked about earlier where the whole John Gotti NPR thing happens. And I like that. Uh, well, so we were talking earlier about like character assassinations, ruining characters that we already like. And Jack Rudolph has Jordan come in. He's like, oh, she's just super. Like, she's just here to observe. And now that we have established that Jordan is pregnant, a lot of scenes in this episode and the next one are, are just her being the cartoon pregnant woman who is hungry all the time. Like, all of her scenes are like, ooh, pastries. And it's like, does Saren Sorkin not, like, know how pregnant people work? Like, it's not just hunger. Like, that's just not, that's such a common trope of, like, I have cravings and so I'm always eating. And that's how you know I'm a pregnant woman. I just really want all the food in the room and I don't know how to be competent otherwise. Yeah. It's like- um, there is an extremely funny version moment of it later, which again, I laughed at this, not because of the way that Sorkin wanted me to laugh, but because I thought it was just relatable, but that's like the, that's in the second one. Um, so they're talking about, you know, FCC, you can't, you got to make sure you have to censor that or else you're going to have to spend millions of dollars, which will probably mean they have to shut down the network or retire. And then we establish this really weird side plot that we don't think is going to come back where one of the trumpet players is being watched by another like uh, network guy from a different show um, on MBS. And he's like, wow, the trumpet guy is really good. And he's like, yeah, he's a substitute. One of his friends like asked him to come in and work. And then I think it's Danny or no, it's Matt who goes up to him. And he's like, where like, no, it's Danny. Are you? F- it's Danny. And he goes, yeah, where are you from? And he's like, oh, I'm just I'm his friend. Like, let's not worry about it. He's like, what's your name? He's like, no, no, don't like I'm just a guy. Like, I'm just a trumpet guy. And I'm re- I'm going, wait, trumpet. And then I think he says at this point, he says New Orleans. And then I'm like, uh-oh. And I Googled it. And it's like, yeah, Hurricane Katrina was August 2005. So this is like very prescient that they're doing a Katrina thing in this episode. And that comes back later because basically in the, in the actual episode, somebody asks for four minutes of extra time, cut a couple of sketches, and uh, they use it to end the episode on a... Honestly, I think it was like four minutes on the dot performance like from all of these different musicians on the band uh from new orleans being like it's a tribute to the city um and it's a nice scene like it's a nice song and it's a feel good yeah it's a beautiful like feel good kind of like you know rah-rah moment like like we're all you know solidarity i mean it it definitely felt manipulative right yes yes (laughs) very emotionally manipulative The, the the performance on its own abstracted from the context of the show was was really beautiful but then using it to do all of this character movement and like hey i love you man stuff is like 
What are you doing right now, Sorkin? Matt just forcibly kissed Harriet, and now you're making me ignore that, I guess? Yeah, all the, like, whole, quote-unquote wholesome things happening when the background of the, the, with the music playing are, like, not all good. Yeah. Yeah, but um, between then and now, we have everyone, like, setting up the for the episode for the week. And uh, we can. I laughed out loud at the the sketch, the whole like to catch a predator, Santa Claus. It's not that clever, um, because Tom is basically playing Chris Hansen, and the big guy is playing uh, Santa Claus, and they do the whole like you come down the chimney, and he's like, "Why are you here? Why are you going to a twelve year old girl's room?" Like that's so funny. This joke's very two thousand six, obviously. Like to catch a predator, not a big deal anymore. Yeah, but. I laughed. I was like, "Oh, that's fair. that's that's kind of well done. It's like well performed." Yeah, it's the same as as the like How- Howie Mandel thing from last time, where it's like that's good enough that I could believe that they would do that. Yeah, you yes. say like, "Okay, On sure." SNL. Okay, yeah, I'm not mad yeah. at this for once. And, that, and that's all you need to do with the sketches in this show is you just need to go, "Okay, sure, yeah, right, that right, 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 right." Um. And then they use that, and then uh, Ed Asner's character is watching uh, the episode with his grandchildren, which is nice. That's very much another manipulative moment of, like, look, he's human. We're about to make him really nice and human, and he's not weird and just yelling about Macau all the time. You Macau. need to accept that he's he's a dude now. And he's basically telling Jack. Jack is like, I, I'll probably resign if we don't, like, take this case to court or whatever. And uh, Wilson's like, yeah, no, fuck the FCC. I'll take it all the way to court if I have to. You're right. Like, the standards matter for a reason. We're not following their orders. I want my kids to meet you, which is, or my grandkids to meet you. It's mm-hmm. nice. I want to talk more about that stuff in the second episode, though, because it doesn't yeah. really go yeah. anywhere here. And yeah, that final scene with, like, the music playing, and Danny goes up to Jordan and he says, Hey, this is a very, another six talking earlier about, like, Sorkin y, uh, like, perfect moments. And it's very sorkin for the like broken sad man to be like, listen, I'm broken and sad and my life doesn't isn't successful, but that doesn't mean that I'm not good enough for you. Please date me. So hang on a minute. Hanging. Harriet is his his ex, right? Yes. And and Matt is him. Is Danny Tommy Schlamy? <laughs> yes. I think so. But I don't <laughs> yes, know if this, I don't know if this is a Tommy thing. Either you know what, no matter what you're saying here, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Thomas Schlamy for this one. That sucks, yeah. Doc. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, they were broken out one night, and Tommy Schlamy <laughs> told Aaron Sorkin about how he struck out with the beautiful network executive, and Sorkin was like, "Uh huh, uh huh." And he takes out right, his like secret notes. recording device or whatever. Keep going. Uh huh. Yeah, he's basically like, "I love you." And if you want to run, you probably should, but you'd better get a head start because I'm coming for you, Jordan. What the fuck? Like, come on. Like, I watch this scene and it doesn't wig me out because I know, first of all, Aaron Sorgan doesn't know how to write stuff like this. And two, it's 06. Like, I'm sorry. This is just a, this is a weirdly dated way to, like, do courtship. It's like, I will pursue you. Sure. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think I agree in the abstract it is. I think there also is truth to the fact that if like if there was a clear vibe with someone and it was someone that you were into who came up to you and was like, I'm coming for you, Alan, you'd be like, "Ooh, right. Like, wouldn't you like that a little bit? I would I like mean, that. Maybe I, I I can't speak to it exactly. I do think like you were saying earlier, both Matt and Danny's moments in this while fucked up are like honest and I think that's one of the things that we give Sorkin a lot of crap for is that his characters can suck sometimes. But, like, that's clearly the point a little bit is, like, mm, this, like 
this is a weird way to do this, but he it matters. Like he means it with his whole heart when he says that. Right. I think the difference between like what Matt does and what Danny does is what Matt does is gross and invasive and also an act of like machismo dominance. Yeah. What Danny's doing here is like he's still putting on the facade of like I'm a macho guy, which is why he says shit like I'm coming for you, Jordan. But he's really scared. And he's really putting himself out there. And he kind of says that as just a way to like leave the conversation because he's so nervous, you know? Yeah. It's an anxious response. Yeah. And so I do think that, again, that there are things about what he says that are like questionable and problematic, but also it's coming from a place of, like you said, feeling really vulnerable. Um, it's just that then the second episode kind of fucks that read over and makes it gross. <laughs> so, yeah. Six, what do you think about relationship stuff? I know you're a big fan. It's all it's all fake. It's definitely all fake. This is acting. Um, <laughs> I went into these notes, Magellan. It's acting. Magellan, I went into these notes saying I'm, I, I refuse to be the one that says that Danny sucks now. Like, I went into episode one and even finished it, and I was like, no, I'm not going to be the one that says that this final scene is bad. I'm going to use it in the intro, and we're going to talk about it sincerely, and I'm not going to be mean to Danny. Like, that's not that's not reasonable. Cut sure. to okay. the first scene of the second right. episode. <laughs> well, uh, are we going into it, the second episode already? Do you, I mean, hey, do you all have any other straight notes about this first one? No, I want to, I mean, I want to talk about episode two. Yeah, episode two's got the, it's all got right. the meat is the thing. I have some strange. I have some strange notes. Go for it. So, all right, I'm gonna go for it. Let's see. A couple. I had a couple general thoughts that I wanted to put out there first. One of them's related to the last episode, uh, with the whole like sponsorship um, thing. Mm-hmm. We didn't see that realized in this episode, right? We didn't mm. see the new set or anything. Oh, the billboard or the new set. Yeah, we did not. Um, in between our recording of the last one and this one, I watched all of the Dana Carvey show and the Dana Carvey show does, um, sponsorship way exactly the way that a real sketch show would do it because it's a real sketch show. Um, so they do things like welcome to the, their first episode is called the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show. Like, they just oh. do it. They do the thing that they joked in the previous episode of, like, what you want us to call it, the Coca-Cola Studio 60. And it's like, yeah, you would do that because you're comedians. Um, and they do stuff where they're, like, people d- dressed as Mug Root Beer doing a dancing opening number, singing about Mug Root Beer. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is how they would do it. And there's a sketch where they're looking at a glass of Mountain Dew. And Dana Carvey's like, what does that look like? And the other person there is like, uh, trying really hard not to say that it looks like pee and keeps, oh, sure. and keeps giving famous. like euphemisms for what it looks like, mm-hmm. um, which Mountain Dew is really upset with, but I think that's how a sketch show would do it. So all of this sort of like hand wringing from the last episode, they're real life examples that uh, make that not make sense. Uh, I have the suspicion that they got rid of the whole writing staff so they wouldn't have to pay those extras anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it is it is a re- like recurring thing where they talk about the show having financial problems in ways that in real life I think they were having financial problems. I think Studio yeah. 60 at this point is definitely showing its finance. We are exactly halfway through the series as of episode 11, mm-hmm. and you can smell financial problems. Yeah. What yeah. do you think Macau actually is? 
Oh, like what's the real life equivalent of yeah. it? Yeah, oh, the <laughs> is, allegory. Is like, yeah, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin's like, I just bet big on the Powerball. That's our Macau. <laughs> <laughs> He's wandering around the set at midnight, muttering about Macau. <laughs> like Aaron, we closed a while ago. Go home, Aaron. Um, I invested a lot in farms. It's like it's, 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 it's raising cows. It's Macau. Macau's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that was nothing. No, that hey, I liked it. <laughs> That's something. I had the thought, um, either this episode or the second one, of like, this doesn't really need to be a sketch show. It could just be a <laughs> show about making TV, and that would cover most of what Aaron Sorkin's interested in doing. Especially in the in the next one, where's this, where there's this whole character who's all about like putting on a reality TV show or whatever. Like he's trying to tell these like TV production stories that get away from it being about a sketch show. So then it's like, just make it, make it the, like we're making a show about the UN or whatever the show, like just make the show that you want to make, which is here's the time we spent making the newsroom. I, I guess the only reason is because like the live aspect of it adds drama and the comedy adds some levity or whatever, but I don't know. Well, the comedy also adds a tension of like, what can we do that? Like we have to appease an audience. Like we have to make an audience true, laugh true, and true. think a little bit. That's something that was more prevalent. I think in the first couple of episodes that they've kind of slipped past is now it's, it's more a show about a TV network and people run in it. Um, I really, a couple Jack and Jordan things. I really thought it was so cute the way that Jack reacted to Jordan being pregnant where he was yeah, like, that was oh, a good scene. congratulations. There was no problem. He didn't yell at her. He was just like, that's really great. Well, because yeah. it's it's this duality of where he's like trying to be nice and be like, congratulations. But also he's trying to talk about this deal. And he's like, but good for you. Wait, do you know what Dan Jenner is? But like the deal, like, oh, my God, the FCC. But like, good, good job, good, proud of you. Good for you. <laughs> and she's like, and yeah. she's like trying to push and be like, we should do this thing. And he's like, we can't. I can't yell at you right now. You're pregnant. <laughs> like we can't have this we can't have this argument i have to be mm-hmm, nice yeah. right now and then yeah, later like when she comes to the meeting she says can i sit in on the meeting and he says no how did you pass my secretary and she says by saying i was invited to sit in on the meeting <laughs> <laughs> um let's see I think... was i harsh when i talked about the jordan pregnancy stuff being weird no, no. i think it's really stupid it's really not well handled at all Cause she already was like not, she was already a character that was getting too much like comic relief moments thrown at her, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now she's just a walking, she's like got her mouth full all the time. Yeah. I'm sure that Amanda P must've been really annoyed that she had to eat on all those takes. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. As as we've learned from like a little bit of production here and there, eating on a TV show is the worst because you have to do those takes a hundred times. Right. Um, keep taking that bite of that danish there was a reference to heath ledger being in the movie that uh weird it was gonna weird. be weird that's some 2006 energy right there yeah uh tom and simon are gross them hitting on lucy is gross lucy is a really terrible character lucy's role in the show is to be flirted with and to be sad that she's not in a relationship and to be and to be the like the emotional woman it's really yes. really really bad yes big time um and then i did my last thing is i did laugh in the danny professing his love speech when it cuts 
to the cross shot of Jordan with her mouth full, just staring at him dumbfounded. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And then I also laughed when he said he should go ahead and chew that sandwich. And then he yeah. walks away. Um, but we can talk about the next one now. Speaking of Danny and Jordan. Ah, so yes. The true really... deconstruction of Danny Tripp. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to hold a, a uh, memorial service right now for Danny, for cool Danny. Because a I candlelight vigil for good Danny. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see good Danny anymore. I think he's gone. He's been replaced by his tulpa. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Twin Peaks. Yeah. Is that the thing from Twin Peaks? Yeah, you should watch season three. Okay. Um, they get way. That's like what they get into. It's awesome. Uh, what did I do? What was that? Uh, nothing. Continue. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the episode starts with just a painful montage of oh. of Danny. This episode's called Monday, by the way. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah. Also, oh, what right, that yeah. was was we... I was I was gonna comedically play like organ funeral music on my phone but then i got a youtube ad <laughs> so oh, i canceled the bit um yeah we should talk about the details of the episode so this episode is monday uh the teleplay was by aaron sorkin story by dana calvo and david handelman it was directed by lawrence trilling whose name i recognized have we watched shows that were directed by lawrence trilling alan There's definitely a lot of lawrence's in tv Production. I think Lawrence Trilling has directed episodes of Scrubs, which is why I recognized it. Uh, um, he's also produced. Uh, he produced most of Pushing Daisies. Okay, so he's so been around. I think maybe Lawrence. Yeah, from Pushing Daisies. So and he's directed. Yes, he's directed episodes of Scrubs. That's correct. Okay, so anyway, Lawrence Trilling is the director. The episode originally aired January twenty first, two thousand seven. So we have gone on. Uh, hiatus we're now this is the mid-season premiere uh and alan what took place in uh in monday oh i actually now i get the titles monday because it's like the day after vacation and it suddenly makes sense to me um in this episode the cast and staff come back from their holiday break and prepare for the first show of the new year with danny in full pursuit of jordan Matt starts bidding in an online auction for a day with Harriet to compete with Luke Scott, a film director interested in Harriet, both on and off screen. That's not correct, by the way. He's not a film director. He's her agent, I thought. No, he's not her agent. He was. He arranged the meeting through an agent. Oh, yeah, he's okay. directing I was confused. the movie. Okay, he's directing that movie. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Sorry. Um, Jordan is introduced to Hallie, played by Stephanie Childers, the newly appointed vice president of alternative programming but unfortunately doesn't get off on the right foot with her due to referring to her area of specialty as illiterate programming. Finally, Jordan makes a plea for Danny to stop pursuing her, claiming it's embarrassing. However, he says that he won't. So this episode is bookended by the two, probably the two worst Danny Tripp scenes of the series. The first one's just sad, and the second one's just unsettling. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. We open with uh, Danny calling Jordan on her phone cell phone after the last rap party of the year and he's like i miss you and like i'm excited to see you and maybe i could take you out to dinner sometime this is what happens when you have too much confidence this is like he has now the self-confidence to start asking her out but not the self-awareness to know that he's not that's not requited that's how i read this um and we get the one two three punch of him being like well you should go out when you come back and she's like yeah for sure i'm on a plane though like i'm going for christmas and then he, we cut, and he calls her again, and she's in her sweater in her nice house. 
And he's like, what are you up to? I know it's like Christmas Eve. And, you know, if you're bored, it's like a church service in L.A. It's going to be pretty dope. And she's like, I'm home. And he's like, all right, well, maybe on the New Year. She says, well, I'm going to the Virgin Islands on the New Year. He's like, all right, well, whatever, have fun. And then he calls her again. And she's getting a spa treatment at the Virgin Islands. Ooh. And he says, and he's like, I got this new phone. She's like, did you change your number? He's like, yeah, I got a new phone. I could edit a feature-length film with this phone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she's like, where are you right now? And he's like, no, I'm at home. I'm just chilling on vacation. And she's like, Danny, I can hear the studio. I know the acoustics of the studio. You're at work. He's like, no. And then Matt Alvey's in the back yelling. And she's like, you're with Matt, aren't you? And he's like, maybe. Like, I thought this scene went on for about 35 minutes. And it turns out it was like three minutes. It was eternal. It was so uncomfortable and sad. What'd you think? It was, it was a lot. I mean, I, I... If it had just been half as long, if he had just called her like once or twice and then she hung up on him, it would have been fine. But he just keeps calling and calling. I think the one thing the scene does a good job of is showing how quickly a break can pass and how it can actually feel like not restful at all. If there's like Mm. stuff going on, because it's like we're already back to work pretty much right away. But it just it was. Yeah, it was gross. This is a span of like multiple flights for her and a full vacation. And she comes back and she's like, oh, my God, we're still in this. Oh, God. And and listen, I've been in Danny's position where it's like, hey, I like this person. Clearly, they don't like me. I'm like talking to them and I know what the deal is. So I understand it. Maybe that's part of what was painful about it. But even I understand like you don't incessantly call someone over and over and over again if it's clear that they like don't want anything to do with you and at least you could do a thing where you're like i mean you know he was he's sort of doing the thing where he's like he's like being too chatty on the phone Mm -hmm. it would have been so easy to do a thing where he's like oh i'm terrible with breaks oh i'm the worst at these i just i end up staying at work because i just don't know what to do with myself Mm. because because there is nothing to fixate on in the in this three minutes other than the awkwardness of how clingy he's being and how much she's not into it. There is no other content to it. And he's just talking. Like you said, like if he at least was like, what are you up to? And I know this is like a TV show, so they're not going to show the whole conversation, but it's very much like, hey, I, I want to take you out really badly, and I want to go take you on this day and this day, and we're going to have a great time. Do you want to? Like kind of putting the ball in her court, and she's like, I'm on vacation. Like you can't. And that like kind of simmers in the back of your head for the entire of, entirety of the episode where you're supposed to still be like, yeah, but like everything else is going on and Danny's still like a competent uh, producer and all this stuff. But like it's one of those. The other thing is like this happens like what John's saying. This happens in private all the time. Honestly, it's sad to say, but this is like a fairly common thing that happens in relationships. You just don't see it. And I think the un- the discomfort here is very intentional. And when it finally comes to a head at the end, it's like, weirdly satisfying even though it doesn't end the way you want it to um so i can understand just being like kind of squirming in your seat throughout all of this being like when is it gonna blow like when is she gonna finally talk to him and like say what she means about like what she feels about this um but with the back with that in the back of her mind um jordan is introduced to hallie who is the new head of alternative programming and like i said in the in the summary she calls it the head of uh illiterate programming um because this Aaron Sorkin hates reality TV shows more than anything else in the whole universe. 
And six, this is for you. When she was like, no, there's good reality TV show. I was like, yeah, talk about the genius. Yes, talk about whatever equivalent. Talk about South Korean game shows. And she's like, yo, you heard of the Ed Sullivan show? That's a reality show. No, it's not. It's Hmm. literally not. (laughs) It's a talk show. That's the different thing. It's a talk show slash talent show. Reality show doesn't mean the people aren't aren't using pseudonyms. That's not the definition (laughs) of a genre very funny especially yeah because that's i i would totally be the hallie type here that's like no there are good ones i swear but i wasn't gonna like that's helping show like come on guys yeah yeah it, you'd, um, you'd be you'd be like crime scene yeah i'd be like you gotta watch crime scene but only watch the first season and then stop for two years it's <laughs> 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 the right way to do it Shots. um this is the moment by the way that i i wrote as like i finally can relate to jordan because her pregnant ass um is being asked for her for her breakfast order and she's like Swiss and mushroom omelet with crispy bacon on the side. And I'm like, damn, and I'm pancakes. really hungry. And pancakes. Absolutely. Of course. Essential. And then she gets brought like soup and crackers or whatever. And Hallie's like, you didn't get your order. She's like, yeah, this is the meal I eat before my meal. <laughs> like <laughs> delivers it mwah, very just quickly and and uh, elegantly. I love it. If, I this love was it. The, if this was the one joke about pregnant lady be hungry (laughs) this would be this would be fine but it is extremely not it's like the fifth one if you watch especially because we're shotgunning two episodes so Mm -hmm. you're just kind of like inundated with it um there's this whole side thing that i never kind of like felt like it wrapped around well where matt's reading the 48 laws of power um which is a book about like how you're supposed to run a like gang oh it wrapped around bud did it Oh well, yeah. I guess he talks about it at the end, but we'll get there. No. Um, well, it's it's basically so he's naming all the different. It's kind of it's pretty clunky, honestly, because um, Matt is sort of trying to riff on them, but he doesn't do any riffing. He just literally reads them. Just saying, he basically says almost all of them. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like continuing to riff on them, and then he riffs on them with Jordan, and he says like cultivating. When whatever uncertainty to an air of unpredictability, I think. Yeah, air of unpredictability to keep people in suspense or something like that. And Jordan's like, "Oh, that's what that lady said I was doing." Yeah, I th- I thought I thought this whole thing. This is you know we're we're skipping around a bit in the episode, but I thought the whole thing was that I was too rude to this lady and I went and I apologized. But no, actually, she started the conversation by comparing me to a drug lord. I think it was just. I think it was, oh, this lady is like using her Machiavellian brilliance on me to get her show on the air. I mm, I think that's what it was trying to imply. Well, I mean, she was directly quoting the 48 Laws of Power in reference to how Jordan behaves. Yeah, but... Oh, like maybe that girl, that woman read the book? No, yes, definitely she read the book. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I think the implication was like, she was doing some three-dimensional chess of like i think she did, wouldn't have expected jordan to read it because she didn't think that uh, she jordan was she, uh, so you think she was trying to rile jordan up to get her to go over the line so that then she would like be acquiescing yes i see that makes sense yeah so there's you know a lot of scenes in this in this episode or plots about like women like plays for women kind of like courtship in in a way um the other thing being that the whole harriet luke matt love triangle where um, harriet's having suzanne try to make matt sign a petition for women united for faith and uh he's like they're bidding on her on harriet people are bidding to get dinner with her um 
and somebody bids like a hunt several like hundred thousand dollars at the beginning and they're like oh it's like luke something 69 and he's like who is that wait i know who that is wait a minute i need to outbid him but i don't want <laughs> what is it it's like i don't want abstinence to get my money so suzanne i want you to donate whatever i give over luke to an equal amount to an anti-abstinence thing hmm. and she's like matt that's really stupid and childish of you anti-abstinence means pro-sex and he's like it's la they got plenty of that <laughs> <laughs> Again, I laughed. I don't know if I ever am laughing because they want me to, but I thought that was very funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Matt in this episode is like a little more charming than the last one. Yeah. Um, and then we get the Jack and Ed, Jack and uh, Wilson White plot, uh, which I really liked. I want to talk about mm-hmm. this one. This is probably my favorite plot of this episode. Uh, hmm. Okay. I mean, yeah, a lot of them are... The thing is, a lot of these plots are compromised. This one, at the very least, is just straightforward. Um, in the FCC meeting, one of the FCC, the FCC guys is being a, like, cartoon asshole. Well, and, they, like, no, I, they're not meeting with the FCC. They're, that's the board. the board of directors, yeah. yeah. They're trying they're to decide the what they're going to do. Sure. So... Yeah. That scene's not important. I'm going to skip that part. Uh, but basically, Wilson White is talking about... Uh, he kind of reminds me of Charlie Skinner in this episode in yeah. terms of like being the old guy with morals, which I appreciate. Yeah, I agree. Um, and just he's talking about like, okay, if we're going to be outvoted, uh, then I'm going to get fired. This will be fine, though. I'll vote. Let's just vote for me. Or like, you know, we'll see. Go take a vote. And everybody votes against him. And he's like, huh. Well, I guess we got to go take a break. And I love that that's the moment where they actually take a break in the show. Again, I appreciate sometimes the show decides to be a little bit self-aware. Uh, I don't know. I just feel really weird about his character in this episode because uh, he he keeps talking about, like, no, like, uh, uh, Jack, I have a plan. Like, I have a huge, I have a big brain plan that's going to get us, we're going to be so successful, and we're not going to have to compromise anything to these board people. His plan is basically to have uh, Mr. Tao to cancel the Macau deal so that the opposition has no leverage for, like... Uh, well, that's you know, the... The, and that's Jack's plan. Wilson yeah. White doesn't have any plan at all. He's just sort of an old guy who's like, hell yeah, let's ride. <laughs> Rides off into the sunset and doesn't realizes that doesn't have a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. And I don't... Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, li- I like the board scene, I guess, of... Jack Rudolph calling the dude a moron just because the actor is really good at delivering that. And Ed Asner is also really good at, I second that. And um, especially you're a moron. It's great. It wasn't clear to me. Is, is Wilson White not in charge anymore? Did they vote him they, out? So or was that just they, like a hypothetical yeah, vote? Yeah, you got this. Uh, so basically the vote was non-binding. Basically it was a vote that was like, hey, if we want to make this a thing, you're going to lose. Um, and we're okay. going to have to make this a thing. So he's like, okay, clearly the, 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 the things are against me. Before we call this vote for real, I've got to change how things are going. Which is that he has Jack. Because ultimately, ultimately it's his like executive decision what he does. And they're just saying, like, if you do it, we'll vote you out, basically. Um, well, no, I think it's like um, he, he initially called, like, I think it's like it was a vote of no confidence, but I think you can't pull someone out with a single vote of no confidence. I think you need, like, two. Oh, okay. And so basically it was like, okay, that's one. If we get a second one, I'm in trouble. Let's let's fix this. I see. And then Jack Rudolph's plan 
This is a it's a cute bit of writing where Ed Asner's like the arts and leisure page is on the table and Jack's like, Okay. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> like who cares? <laughs> cool. And then he's like, Oh, we can talk to Tao. His daughter is playing in town at with the the Juilliard is playing at USC or whatever it was. Or you, I don't remember where. Uh, and then at, at Wilson White is like, well, how do you know that? And Chuck Rudolph's like, because I'm looking at it on the Arts and Leisure page. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, his plan is I'm going to go meet Tao at, at this concert and convince him to drop um, NBS and their parent company from this Macau deal. Um on the basis of like, you're going to submit to the FCC. You're, you don't have the honor that I'm looking for. So I'm dumping you. And, uh, then he goes and he talks to the guy and it's kind of charming the way that he learns how to say man to man in, in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have that whole exchange. And then we get into another situation where, like, the daughter wants to meet Tom Jeter and have dinner with him or go on a date with him or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's fine. The one bit of that that really delighted me was that she wants to give up the viola to study oh. improv comedy. Wait, which is I just what, realized basically what I did. That's what you <laughs> did. Hold on. Because uh, I played the viola in high school. So. <laughs> Um, that was buddy that, was, that yeah, explains I, why you're here with us <laughs> idiots <laughs> that's pretty relatable um but otherwise i found the plot kind of uh i don't know i didn't like it so much i mostly yeah. enjoyed this yeah. oh go ahead i just mostly enjoyed it for the scene of the classical music playing while jack rudolph is like learning chinese from a book and yelling it at like a a bellhop or whatever um yeah, I really, I really only get my kicks out of Studio sixty in little moments like that, where the characters I like are funny. The rest of it, um, I might as well delete my notes because I'm just like, ah, stuff happens. Mm -hmm. I, I think I also thought yeah. it was cute. I did like the another little moment of of uh, like Kim translating for Jack and Jack being like translating everything, and then Jack being like, "And I'll get you your daughter back." And Kim's like, "Hey," and then the mom translates instead. <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> I don't understand Jack's plan there. Like, how is what he's is... gonna he's gonna he's gonna have her go to dinner with Tom and he's gonna be like, Tom, you have to talk about how much being a comedian sucks and you don't want her to do it. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. I I guess here's my issue with with the Jack Rudolph Wilson White plot is first of all, I just am I have no interest in the Macau stuff at all in this like big merger. I don't want the corporate people to get their big merger. So, like, I don't know. I guess it makes it feel a little better that Jack Rudolph is, like, fight, taking a principled stance about, like, not wanting to censor the news or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but my thing is, like, this show is supposed to be a show about making a sketch comedy show. At least that's what I signed up for. And then it feels like that whole plot isn't really about it about that and i don't you want look them... at the contract closer when you signed up yeah right i should have read between <laughs> the lines and i i have no interest in in aaron sorkin telling stories further up the chain of command i'd rather he told stories further down the chain of command and again we've talked about this like it's a much more interesting show if darius is the pov character for mm -hmm. example 
if it's a show that's about like the actors and the writers and the crew and the executive producers are like towards the top and Jordan McDear maybe floats in and Jack Rudolph maybe floats in. But when the set, the show is centered on the executive producers and you see like further up the chain and then down, I'm, I'm less interested in that because it gets abstracted away from like the premise of the show. I feel like, I mean, I feel like I would want sort of a, a, a tale of two cities thing where I would love it. Like, like it being like Darius and Jack, right. The two sides of it. Mm, sort of like a, a upstairs, downstairs, uh, down to totally, Abbey. totally. totally. Mm. Yes. Okay. Uh, the problem is that I don't like da- uh, Danny and Matt, and they hit the exact medium spot where they're like, they're not powerful enough that the moves they're making are inherently interesting because of like scale and audacity, but they're also not likable or relatable. Right, right. They're also still rich guys in Hollywood. Yeah, there's, they're also still the people who are like, hey, make a bunch of like interns, fax recommendations to the person I'm trying to date. Oh, who cares what their names are? Why would I know an intern's name? Yeah, that literally. You're not the that... good person here. <laughs> He's like the nice guy. I I on I honestly can't believe that it is a protagonist plan to have interns whose names you don't know and force them to send faxes to your would-be girlfriend about how cool you are. It's one of the shittiest things anyone on the show has ever done. It's so the whole plot it, it's bizarre. It's like impossible to read how the show is trying to present it to you. Because he's like, oh, I know. Letters of recommendation. And it's like, what? <laughs> no, that's that doesn't make any sense at all. That's an insane thing. And the show's kind of trying to say that he's like doing too much and being creepy and being stalkery. Um, and then we get to the moment, if just to fast forward to that last scene where Jordan pulls him into the onto the stage and she's like Danny you got to stop. And Amanda Pete really sells how like scared Jordan is of Danny continuing to do this. She's creeped mm-hmm. out, she's uncomfortable, she just needs him to stop. And she's like about, on the verge of tears basically. And Danny's like uh And it's embarrassing for her because he's basically told everyone they know, like, hey, Jordan's this pregnant lady that I'm trying to shack up with. Can you write her a letter? Um, So he's embarrassed her. And then he's like, hey, I'm sorry I embarrassed you and all that. And she's like, so are you going to stop? And he's like, no. And then the music is sort of like, oh, it's sad that Danny didn't get to be with the woman he loved. Instead of like, this dude's creepy. <laughs> this dude said he would pursue her and meant it. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's a really rough note to end on. But um, I have some other, we have one other uh, sort of major side plot that I enjoyed. Um, or at least I want to talk about. Yeah. So just getting back to the writers and the smaller writing staff now. We have Darius um, who... Uh, is pitched a concept for like a tough guy member of the Fruit of the Loom, which again, 2006. Um, he's pitched it by Simon, um, and he initially doesn't want to do the sketch, and we don't understand why, so he passes it off to Lucy so she can pitch the sketch, and he's not like, you know, he's not the person whose name is on it. And when Simon comes up to him later and is like, hey, like, I that was a freebie. Like, I gave you a good sketch so that you could pitch it and that they would be like, in, like your work and, you know see you as better and he's like 
did you not take it because you didn't want to be the black guy who who ended up having to do that that type of sketch and i mean this is this scene is like such a, a weirdly intense and well acted moment amongst in the rest of a very silly episode but uh simon and darius yelling about at each other and then darius kind of goes all the way on to over and is like he does an impression of like a a stereotypical like black slave character and like drops the n-word at simon Mm -hmm. and he's like thank you so much master for giving me this like amazing opportunity that i wasn't going to get on my own to which you'd think that simon would be shut down but he's hot-headed and he's like actually you need to go away you don't get to do that anymore you have to you have to close this conversation and get the fuck out log off like i wanted more of that yeah and i i i liked that exchange because i really appreciate like i think simon is in the wrong here right sure yeah i think like this whole framing of like i you like you owe me now i saved your career you have to do what i tell you is a load of shit like no you yeah, gave him the job yeah if i was told that i would also tell someone now. to fuck off right yes. um but i also really appreciate like this isn't one of the moments. It would be so easy to do this in television where where Darius says this and Simon is like, oh, wait, I was over the line. No, that's yeah. not how this goes. At this point, both of them are too emotionally invested. And even if Simon realizes at some point he's mad, it's not right now or he's wrong. It's not right now where he is literally too pissed to see reason. I really yeah. appreciate him being like, ah, I can't say that word because I'm going to get called out by Magellan's mom. Uh, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, screw you. Uh, <laughs> the specter of Magellan's mom FCC looms over my head. Looms <laughs> over like T.J. Ackleberg in his glasses. Yeah, I am, um, and I, I do see where Simon's coming from here. Also, I also think that he's in the wrong, but he's coming from a place that that I can understand because for him, it's like I, at least I don't know the the racial makeup of the crew in the show because we don't see them very much. But the creative staff, like the actors and writers, I mean, um, not to say the crew isn't creative, but the actors and writers, Simon is the only black person that we see. And so for him, part of the joy of bringing Darius on the show is like, finally, here is this part of my identity and part of the way that I interact with the world and the world interacts with me that like, I can have someone here who understands that and we can make comedy out of that because mm-hmm. there's so much comedy in that that none of the other people, actors or writers are able to explore because it's not their experience and they don't get it. And, and so he's giving Simon's, them our jokes. And yeah, and so Simon's really upset because he wanted to do this like this thing that to him, you know, needs he needs to have someone else who's black for this particular sketch to like figure it out and instead he gets stuck with like the super white british lady who's like oh yeah you i'm gonna make the character say you wanker you prat and he's like this is this is this sucks this is what i've been doing for years already Mm -hmm. um and it's even it's even it's even easier to understand where he's coming from because we've already had established in in episodes like episode like two or three like way long ago that it's not that they weren't doing like humor like angled at black people it was like previous writers were being like hey simon can you do a bill cosby voice it was like yeah. 
it was like yikes territory. Yeah, and we saw a clip of him being like on a sketch called Pimp My Tricycle or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, they're doing shit like that. It's like white pe- white people like writing like these these parodies of black culture. And and so I absolutely understand Simon being like, no, I like I want a black writer and a black actor to come together and make something that's authentically of our culture and not a white person creating this like grotesque parody of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it really is. It it uh Again, it's a story that like feels native to the premise of this is about a sketch comedy show and it's about the people involved and it's about the making of it and how that can get really personal. Um, And I don't think that Aaron Sorkin is the right person to handle it because he is so interested in the like politicking of, of the network level and the board members and stuff. Uh, and he is, I think he does this capably, this interaction between Darius and Simon and sets up this plot, but then doesn't really pay it off. And it seems like this episode is like a part one for the next mm-hmm. one. So maybe it gets paid off in a way that yeah, works. Can I... I'm not sure. So as I say, I, I, I was around when the show was being watched. I was not really watching myself. And there was, I, I referenced before, there was one thing still to come that i remembered we are going to see this sketch and it is oh the fruit of unbelievable it is both unbelievably unfunny and racist oh. really mm-hmm. that's so sad it's it's a really it's a really unfortunate payoff to this setup which i think is quite good it's good yeah and i think mm-hmm. with the, the kind of benefit that they get with the show is that sometimes the sketch can be bad but the circumstances around it can be good which it sounds like this is an example of that mm-hmm. um because like these two guys are important characters to the show working to like the fundamental uh, like premise of the show, which is that it's about sketch comedy and the people who make it and you need to represent that. So like, this is a good scene. That's like, again, contained in such a wacky episode. And I hope it pays off in a way, even though it sounds like the sketch is bad, I hope that their relationship evolves somewhere good yeah, and that they don't just hate each other after this. Yeah. It's just, it's just so hard when, I mean, like it's, you're having these characters who are so like who are so obsessed about the process and self-congratulatory and talking about how like the proud tradition and then it it feels like all set up to this like this always this wet fart (laughs) right right like if you're gonna go through all the trouble to set up the sketch that make the sketch decent but it never is right right um so that, that that's where that plot is for now and then last the last major one that i have uh, is the reality show woman uh, Hallie talking to Jordan and like pre- kind of pitching her all these different shows. There's that really bad show she pitches her called All You Need Is Love, which, as I understood it, is just that people ask for forgiveness for bad things that they did and then they are happy at the end of it, mm-hmm. which is kind of a funny response to everyone being like, oh, every reality show is about people hating each other and, and like coming to hate each other, which is a fair critique of 2006 reality television. Mm-hmm. But this, like, and then everyone is happy is, like, how we get get shows like uh, like Intervention, where the whole thing is the moment of, like, and then they all hug at the end because they're going to get better. Yay. But also, like, her first example is, like, a Catholic priest and, like, the people he abused. And it's like, yikes, yeah. dog. Yo, that <laughs> Whoa, that sucked. I don't want to watch that on TV. No, thank you. Um, I hated that this seemed at first like it was going to be a rivalry. Like, the way that the the... 
Darius Simon stuff, I was like, please don't start making these two fight. This is another one where I was like, don't give Jordan like a rival who hates her because this woman is like playing four dimensional chess with her and like, oh, like I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. called, I called Jack before uh, speaking to you and I pitched him the sketch so that I could circumvent you and now you're gonna feel slighted. And she even she says the line, "There's another pretty girl at the dance, and this one's not pregnant." Which I do appreciate. Then immediately, then Harriet uh, and Jordan are talking. She's like, "Did she really say there's another pretty girl and this one's not pregnant?" She's like, "Yo, she said it." <laughs> that's that's a nice moment. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I also this... I also did like TV characters never tell each other the things that they said, which. In, yeah. a, in other episodes of this, I found it annoying that all the Sorkin characters were like, whoa, this Sorkin plot is crazy. But in that scene, I, I actually kind of liked it because Harriet was like, she just said that unprovoked. And then and then Jordan's like, well, <laughs> I did say she was the vice president of illiterate programming. <laughs> yeah, I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> it's like, yeah, like that's a very that shitty before. thing to say. Yeah, yeah I do. I, like, and it's, you do also because the, the actress playing Harriet often does a very good job and it's another it's a great moment of you being like i want to be here for my friend and i'm like yeah you were in the right oh oh no you oh, kind of no. weren't bud <laughs> yeah, it's like when you hear about your so friend's good. like bad breakup and you're like and then what did she say to you and then he's like oh and then she called me a, an asshole and a liar and then you're like yeah what did you say and then he's like yeah i lied to her oh yeah uh, I, she uh, was right <laughs> <laughs> hmm yeah yeah, I appreciate respectful or like a good friend Harriet here. Um, and then basically this wraps up with uh, Jordan doing the only like good moment of like reaching across the aisle in this entire episode where she goes up to uh, Hallie at the gym. And uh, after all this stuff being like, you can't be mean to your employees. Like you have to be nice to them, which I wish everybody in the show would learn. Uh, she goes up to her and she's like, hey, that was actually super shitty what I said. And you work for me and I appreciate you. And I shouldn't have said that about your whole job. That's really mean. I'm sorry. Let's get off on the right foot next time. And it's like, okay, wow, that was weird. That Conflict resolution in an Aaron Sorkin show in this economy? <laughs> Alan, oh, you're so beautifully naive. It's going to go bad again, isn't it? Yes. they're going. You, you said like, oh, I'm so glad they're not going to be rivals. They're going to be rivals, dude. Oh, I want to die. I want to die. That's what this is going to be. I don't need Jordan to just stop. You've ruined Jordan. She wasn't even like amazing to begin with. And you've are you somehow ruined her. I love <sighs> this show. It's my favorite show. Um, but that's actually, I think going through this, that's kind of all I got. The other like gag scene that I wanted to comment on in my, from my notes uh, was that Tom is like proposing a bit to uh, Matt or Danny. Uh, and he's like, yeah, the bit is called dolphin girl and Harriet's going to oh, be dolphin I love girl. That. Oh, that's I love such that. I'm shocked that's not a real SNL sketch. It's a good sketch idea. It's, I mean, it's simple. It, it's extremely like the actress playing Harriet did that did that sound, and they're like, we can just do a little thing off of this. Do this, yeah. And it works. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. He's like, she. the whole thing is she's a cute girl, and you ask her out, but every time she laughs, she goes, <laughs> <laughs> Look, it does a perfect dolphin noise. Sarah Paulson's dolphin noise is, yeah, it's flawless. Um yeah. And they're like, that's it. That's the whole joke. It's just like we got Sarah Paulson to do his voice and it's good. And we're going to put it in the show. Um, I like that Matt's like, yep, print it. Do it. <laughs> it's a good sketch. Yeah. No uh, no approval needed beyond this. Um, but yeah, all the stuff loops around. Um, and again, we end with, uh, oh, yeah, and we have that scene where, yeah, Kim and her mom and uh, Tower talking to Jack and he gets them to, to do the deal. Um, I don't know how much longer they can drag out this Macau plot line. Probably till the end of the season at this point, right? 
yeah, I, I don't see why not. It can keep it can keep being like when I finally thought it was out of steam, they were like, actually, the FCC is involved now. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see any more Macau. But if I get to see more Jack Rudolph, then I'm happy about it. Jack Rudolph is great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the most disappointing, sad ending of, of, of ever where Jordan is a whole ass real person <sighs> and is like, Danny, you got to stop. You can't keep calling me. People know about this now. It's uncomfortable. Don't do it anymore. I'm not interested. And he's like, I'm going to keep pursuing you. Can't stop me. And it's yeah. like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to see my boy get ruined anymore. It's right. fine. I'm fine with it. I I can't get too attached, especially when people start saying stuff like, I'll pursue you. <laughs> <sighs> I did have one more laugh of the episode, but otherwise, I'm, that's all I got. Which I'm emotionally is, uh, spent. Which is... I don't remember the scene, but there's a scene. I think it's that scene where they're pitching the dolphin girl thing. And then Tom is like, hey, I want to ask Lucy out. And Matt's like, well, you got to be nice to her because she just got broken up with. And then uh, oh, there's a whole bit at the end where Lucy's like, can I go on a date for Thursday? And then she tries to make up a lie about like what she was saying to Matt when Tom comes in. But then she can't. <laughs> and she's like, I was also asking. I was also Thursday. asking for Thursday. That's funny. Um, but the the laugh I had was... After everybody leaves Matt's office in that earlier scene, he kind of looks into the room and says goodnight to the empty room. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. there's nobody nice. in there. It's so funny. I think it, yeah. it could have just been improvised by Matthew Perry. That's how real it's entirely seems. possible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we should start we should start noting down our, our laughs of the episode because they they've gotten few and far between for me, but when they happen they really do it does work. I mean, I think that's the intoxicating thing about watching a Sorkin show is like... It always approaches. It's like an absolute value, an absolute limit, where it's like it comes so close sometimes. Yeah, there's always a little fun. In every episode, there's always something that you're like, okay, that's fun. That's good. And just so much. I smile. That's good. I chuckled the teensy bit. Oh, yeah. My other one from... I think this is from the second of this one uh, was when uh, Suzanne is asking Matt for a username, and he's like, make one up. And she's like, let me see. Boss sexy. Boss He's like, no, sexy. don't call me boss sexy. And she's like, too late. I already made the name. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne's so good. That's all I got, folks. Any other notes or things you want to talk about? Nah, I'm out. I'm tapped. I'm spent. I'm emotionally exhausted from these episodes. I still like the show. I still like it. It's bad. I like talking I about it like with my it. friends, Magellan 6. That's my favorite thing about Studio 60. I almost just kept watching when this one was done. Really? You just wanted you didn't want to end on such a sour note? Yeah, I did that's what it was. Yeah, I wanted to cleanse the palate a little bit. Like I need to yeah, I need to get something else. I watched uh, you watched like a good episode of something afterwards. The problem is yeah. Sorkin shows never end well. No, no. So this is just gonna keep going downhill. Only five more weeks, y'all. You're right. Ten more episodes. Mm-hmm. Ten delicious episodes. Magellan, we're at past the point that you watched before, right? So you've never seen the rest of this show. Um, I'm not sure. Okay. I've definitely seen this one, actually. I thought that I had only watched up to Nevada Day, but that wasn't true. I definitely uh-huh. had seen parts of one or both of the ones that we watched this week. Um, so I'm not sure where we where I stopped before. But well, uh, anyway, I can tell you what we're watching next week. Yeah, we were watching a two-parter. I'm excited. Yeah, we're watching actually uh, parts two and three of a three-parter. Oh, right. Technically, mm-hmm. yeah. They're yeah. titled a two-parter, but Monday te- it definitely segues into these two. Yeah. Yeah. 
so we're watching episodes 13 and 14 of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, The Harriet Dinner and The Harriet Dinner Part 2. In The Harriet Dinner, uh, the description says, <laughs> in the second episode of a three-part of a three-part episode. Hmm. Oh, sorry. Thanks. I read that wrong. It, let me take it again. First, The Harriet Dinner. In the second part of a three-part episode, Danny and Jordan get locked on the roof of the theater while other <gasps> members of the cast and staff attend a dinner honoring Harriet. <sighs> okay. Bottle episode. 14, The Harriet Dinner Part 2. In the third part of a three-part episode... Danny and Jordan are still locked on the roof of the theater during a dinner honoring Harriet, whose relationship with Matt continues to unravel. Good. Good. That could honestly be kind of fun. Yeah, it could be fun. It's going to be pretty quirky. It's going to be a quirky girl. It could be bad, but we shall see. Guess so. Let's take it to the close, folks. Yes. So can I do this? Sure. Thanks. So you can get in touch with the show in a number of different ways. You can email us at chatspot at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, tweet at us. Uh, what is it? Twitter.com slash chatspot. You yeah. can join the community of chats listeners over at the subreddit set up by our brothers at Infinite War, Nick and Pat, over at reddit.com slash r slash chatspod. And uh, all of those are spelled C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D in case you weren't sure how to spell it because it's spelled in a kind of a fun way. It's a little different than you might expect. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash chatspod where there are a number of different levels at which you can support. You can support at a dollar and that'll give you access to just like uh, bonus shows that we feel like doing when we feel like doing them. So right now that includes uh, my solo coverage of the X-Files called the Chats Files. You can check it out over there. At $3, you get access to our thrice monthly bonus content that comes out on a very regular basis. Uh, And those could include us piloting other shows, doing commentaries on movies, or just kind of talking about whatever we feel like talking about. Voted on by you, the listener. Pretty fun. Wow. Or you can support us at $5 a month, which currently is just because you love us and because five is a nice, even, beautiful number. It's actually an odd number. Well, that's true. It's a beautiful, odd number, just like us. Anyway, we always end the show by talking about our chatsums, little things that you can snack on between now and next time, little recommendaciones. And uh, Six, since you're the guest here, would you like to give us your chatsum first? Sure. So uh, for a long time, I've had my eye on the uh, tabletop game Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, Um, but it's been out of print for some time and much in demand, Uh, but they have reprinted it with a bunch of a bunch of a different edition. So basically, the premise of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective is you are a member of the Baker Street Irregulars. If you're not up on your your Holmes fiction, it's basically uh, a group of uh, Londonites who are information gatherers for Sherlock Holmes, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you have a set of cases. I think the the version I came I got came with ten cases, and it's like, okay, this is a this is a this is a case that Sherlock Holmes uh, has solved. He's already figured it out, and he's like, oh, I'm going to explain things in a minute. But do you want to just go around and gather evidence and see if you can figure it out yourself? Because um, he's a condescending jerk. Because that's Sherlock Holmes for you. Um, 
And so you like you go to various like you have a map of, of London and you go to places. And if you go to places that are relevant to the case, you'll get to do like an interview. And there's like a newspaper for the day and you're searching it for clues. It's really cool. It's a cooperative game for uh, two to four people. And it's it's fun. You should play it. Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. Mm-hmm. Nice. Alan, what's your chance? Of? Um, I've been playing a lot of multiplayer stuff lately, trying to uh, bond with friends beyond just my Final Fantasy XIV uh, crew. And uh, the one that I've been enjoying the most lately um, is the new, newly updated uh, Apex Legends, which is a battle royale first-person shooter um, on the PC, the Xbox One, and the PlayStation 4. Um, basically, the people who made Titanfall made a, made a class-based uh, first-person shooter battle royale. And it's free to play, and it's sick. Um, Six, you're a bit more uh, professional with this game. You you seem to be. You have many more wins under your belt. I've only had a single win under my belt in my entire Apex career. Yeah, um, I tend to get one to two wins a day because I'm playing every day now. <laughs> yeah, once you get into the loop of those games, it seems like you can just rack up wins pretty straight easily. Mm-hmm. Um, the new stuff with season five, besides the new character Loba, whose uh, kit seems weird and design seems even weirder. Um, everything else seems really good. Like, one of the things I always wanted when that game launched was like, can we just get more than one map? And there's more than one map. Yeah, I was like, when are they gonna have different modes beyond trios? And I put stuff in beyond besides just like you know trios as in like themes of three. It's got it's it's really fleshed itself out in the past year, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think it hits a really great balance between like being you know just like you know it's not like like uh the the codifier of the genre, player unknowns battlegrounds. Where it's yeah. like all all that matters is how good of a shot you are versus like Fortnite, where it's very much about like how good are you at the abilities and stuff. Um, I feel like it hits a, a very nice sweet spot where you don't have to be like Mr. Counter-Strike uh, to, to succeed here, but also, you know, you, you feel rewarded for your investment. Yeah, even a five-minute game will, will feel somewhat satisfying to me because I'll have an interesting engagement. I'll learn something small. I'll you know find some nuance in the map and like you know you're always building a skill and it has good progression systems on not all of these battle royales too like sometimes you just finish a game and you're done but this one's like no you're always getting something um i enjoyed a lot people should try it out it's free you can't go wrong with it it's apex legends uh magellan what about you uh my chat some this time around is a podcast recommendation um folks listeners to the show know that i love star wars and in particular, I've always been a big fan of uh, the Knights of the Old Republic games and that specific era of Star Wars, the Old Republic era. And uh, I was just searching around for a podcast, if there was were podcasts that talked about KOTOR or anything like that. And I found a show called A People's History of the Old Republic. And what they do is they go through all of the... Uh, extended universe fiction and properties related to that era of Star Wars, and they just tell you what the heck happened. They give you a little history of 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 it, and they also weave in some uh, real world context of like when the things were created and some of the reasons why certain. I like that they're very open about the fact that yeah, some of the reasons the details don't add up is because. They were made by different people at different times, and uh, it's just not consistent. And we can try to figure out how to iron out the consistencies. Uh, And it just deals directly with, like, 
canon making and meaning making out of this particular era of Star Wars. So I, if you're a Star Wars guy like me, and you're into the Old Republic like me, then uh, People's History of the Old Republic is worth a listen. So did they call it People's History of the Old Republic because it shortens to FOTOR? Uh-huh. They, they say FOTOR, yeah. Dang. Okay, I thought I was clever. Well, you are. You're as clever as they are. If not more, wink. True. Well, folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. Thank you, as always, to Six Detmar and Magellan Fluke for being the two rocks to my one hard place. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sunset Chats. Let's restart the clock. Hey, everybody. It's Alan. I am recording this uh, outro at 2 in the morning right now. Uh, the day before it releases, just like the olden days. I was listening to an old Freeze Chats episode recently. Uh, and we were talking about how late we were recording and how I was excited to go to sleep or whatever. And it's like... Do you remember staying up late to podcast, Magellan, if you're listening to this? We haven't done it in a while because we both uh, have very exhausting day jobs. And I don't know. I'm just like the only ways that I can ever go to bed this late are when I got up really late, which I did today. And uh, I either have some tea or something to keep me going. Um, And I had a bunch of tea today. So I also was doing work at home uh, and as well as homework. But none of that is here, nor is it there. It's time for the present day update of Chats of Television Podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this on February 22nd, 2021, then the most recent Patreon content we have over on our wonderful Patreon, patreon.com slash chatspod, uh, since last week is uh, the Chats Files episode 26, wherein Magellan discovered the joys of Flukeman uh, and has embodied that title himself, uh, Enter Flukeman. Uh, we have also released a very fun pilot chats, uh, a double pilot chats for uh, the 2019 Good Omens adaptation on Amazon, as well as the uh, very engaging, very interesting uh, Angels in America classic HBO miniseries, um, which it's, spoiler alert, might be uh, coming up soon in the chats uh, season. You'll have to listen to that episode to find out for sure, though. Um, and we also have a March content poll, uh, which is very exciting and has a ton of options because uh, it's all of the stuff that has not won previous polls uh, before they get taken out of the rotation. So if you're a patron, please, please, please go vote in that March content poll so we know what we're watching in March. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. Oh, man, Sopranos, Six Feet Under, Wild Wild West. You guys, you got to get us to watch Wild Wild West. Come on now. Uh, that movie's pushing into, like, I'm going to make my John watch it. I've never seen it myself, but I've always wanted to. And uh, let's talk about this episode that we just listened to, yeah? Uh, Sense of Chats. This was a weird one for me. I actually, in editing it, remembered a specific weird moment where I was like, ooh, I I wasn't, like, on my A game with that that comment there. I'm not going to get into it, but I was just like, I've said it before, but Sense of Chats is a weird one because covering an Aaron Sorkin show is just really, it's a really specific challenge because as we kind of tap into occasionally in this discussion you can tell he wants you to hate some of his characters but it never feels like it's justified in a cool way it just feels like an alien wrote this show and you know Magellan had just in our in our if you know again if you're a patron you'll see in our patron discord uh he posted a like Matt and Harriet uh, mashup 
video set to music. I forget what those are called. They're not AMVs. It's like a live action AMV basically. And it and the person in the description was like, I love Aaron Sorkin so much. I love this show. I binged it in like a day. Like that that video, y'all, came out in like May of 2020. Like people are thinking about Studio 60 and loving it in the present day. And I just I would love to have those brainworms. I I always like liking things and imagine just uncritically liking Aaron Sorkin. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be a fascinating alternate life to have? That's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, the Studio 60 continues to be an interesting challenge for us as podcasters because I sincerely do think parts of it are, are really fascinating and cool. Um, and then other parts are completely infuriating. So, you know, so it goes. Um, but that's what I have for y'all. That's what I, I've brought to the table tonight. Um, I want to bid you all a very farewell a very farewell who writes this not me apparently because this is all off the top of my 2 a.m dome thanks again for listening to this episode of sunset chats uh we will see you next week peace